What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. He finally came on, ladies and gentlemen. We finally got him. Mr. Brad Couliard, the coach of coaches, the Bill Parcells of powerlifting, as we like to call him on Two White Lights. He came on, and him and Steve Denovi, I was not available for this episode, but him and Steve Denovi delivered a fantastic podcast episode. Um, I mean, if there's anyone appropriate, if there's anyone um, qualified to interview Brad Couliard, it's Steve. It is um, a great meeting of the minds, two fantastic minds in powerlifting discussing uh one the pro series because that's that brad Couliard is the uh the director of it but also just a you know a great discussion about coaching athletes giving feedback um you know steve goes into commercial gym story there's just a lot of great stuff in this podcast and i hope one day to get on a podcast with brad i think something of the council is coming um hopefully we can get a podcast soon with all of them just involved because i think it'll be a great episode but yeah a fantastic episode brad Couliard. he's on the show hopefully you can have him on again sometime awesome interview thank you steve denovi for uh taking this interview as i was pretty busy this week or this past week so fantastic episode know you guys don't like it but before you do this before you listen to this episode make sure you subscribe to two white lights on apple Podcasts. leave a five-star rating leave a review there as well also subscribe on spotify leave a five-star rating there Go to twowhitelights.com, subscribe to Two White Lights, and also check out the shop. We got some merchandise. And then put another tab open. Go to leftflowerbros.com. Make sure you're following on Instagram and get the best powerlifting merchandise there is. Use that promo code 2WL15 to save yourself some money. And without further ado, here it is, Two White Lights. Ooh, baby, I like it raw. Yeah, baby, I like it raw. Ooh, baby, I like it raw. Yeah, baby, I like it raw. Shimmy, shimmy, y'all, shimmy, yeah, shimmy, yeah. Give me the mic so I can take her away. Off on the natural charge, bone for yards. Yeah, from the home of the Dodger Brooklyn squad. Root tank, killer, hubby's on the swamp. Rain on your college ass, disco dorm. For you to even touch my skill, you gotta go through one killer B, and he ain't gonna kill now. Chop that down, pass it all around. Lyrics get hard, quick, see match on the ground. And as promised, I'm sitting here with the coach of coaches, Mr. Brad Couliard. This is like two or three years coming. I don't know how many times we've talked to you about getting you on here. And frankly, I can now blame Angelo because it's apparently his issue because Angelo is not on today. It's just me and Brad. This is my this is my first ever solo interview with someone. We, we did the little powerlifting now roundtable, but this is the first time alone. So it's very obvious the reason we did not get you on here is Angelo obviously has some type of prejudice against you. I don't know if it's Probably. the shaved head. I don't know if it's the Northeastern thing and like a Chicago versus, versus uh, the commanders. Yes. The commanders bears thing. I gave him too much. So, so, well, welcome Brad. Uh, I mean, just in case some people may not know who you are, I think most people will give a little brief, brief breakdown who you are, a little bit of background to you. Um, sure. Yeah. So <laughs> I, that's, that's not a self-proclaimed coach of coaches, but, uh, it's what it's, it's kind of, uh, 
morphed into over the last few years. Um, 20, was it 15, 2016, something like that. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I've been coaching in the game for quite some time. I uh, learned under the greats, uh, you know, Mike Zordos, Matt Gary, uh, Susie Gary, like those have been, um, you know, my, uh, my mentors when I first came into it and been progressing ever since learning constantly, <laughs> making mistakes and, uh, learning as you go. Um, coached, uh, yeah, coached a few coaches now, um, <laughs> uh, yourself, Marcellus, um, Sean, I identify as an elite level lifter, not a coach. So I was, I was one of your like elite level clout lifters, correct? Yeah, you were, you were right there. Um, you and Charlie were right there. Like I was, it was like, it was neck and neck. Yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know who really like, who was like bumping up my, my, uh, my game there and, and my, uh, my, my status. Uh, but it was, it was, you guys were right there. So, um, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a wild ride for a few years and, um, you know, just progressing along and trying to get everybody stronger. That's pretty much it. Yes, sir. Yep. So yeah, if Brad didn't, if you didn't already catch that, obviously what Brad said, Brad was my coach for two, three, four years. Something like that. Yeah. And I, I don't know how you dealt with me because really only one year was I taking powerlifting serious. And then after that, I, I, I had retired and just kind of lifted and you, you still you still tolerated not, me for a bit. You're not retired now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right before this, I did sign up for a powerlifting meet. I actually just did. I'll explain that maybe later. It, it's for fun. It's it's not taken serious whatsoever, albeit I might train a little bit more extensively for three weeks for it. The three week prep, right? You're going to write yeah, me a three week we prep. That, we need that case study. Yeah, need the case study of uh, three week no taper. So, exactly. all right. Well, what, one yep. thing you didn't mention yes. about your credentials is you are the USA Powerlifting Pro Series chairman. Yes. And we just had some pretty big announcements come out, which uh, obviously me, you, me and you have talked extensively about this really over the last year because you, you, you a lot of times we'll kind of, we'll, we'll kind of chat back and forth and kind of, you'll get feedback and whatnot and, and take that yep. to kind of into consideration and whatnot. But uh, yeah, you want to break down? I mean, we'll, we'll focus on, so it doesn't get too complicated. Let's just focus on raw open because sure. not to be too mean, but that's who 97% of our listeners care about hearing about. But let's, let's talk about what is the changes to the raw open category within the pro series and the pro finals format. That's different from what it was prior. Sure. So uh, I sent out a uh, newsletter uh, to the entire membership base so that everybody was aware on the same page. And um, I think it was, I think it was the writing was on the wall to a degree of the, um, the interest in a third meet. And, um, you know, truth be told, we were working on getting that third meet, um, you know, solidified with some changes going on. And we, we settled on the apex, uh, pro that I had originally signed up to meet direct and run here in Maryland. However, uh, after talking with, a lot of the pro lifters uh, over the last, you know, just kind of gauging interest in and their thoughts and all of that. And the, the biggest issue that um, we tend to find was one, elite level lifters don't want to compete really more than twice a year. Um, and I think when you get into that third realm, that or th- third meet realm, it, re- it they just become burnt out. Not to mention the timing between Arnold to nationals to a December meet to Arnold again was quite taxing. I know from my own, you know, my own lifter experiences that, you know, and feedback from my lifters, um, Connor, um, 
you know, Connor did it. Um, and so it just became, it became hard for them to, to perform at their peak. And the pro series was meant to, to really drive that like peak performance and, um, have the, the a little bit more flexibility and simplicity of the system involved so that these elite lifter, lifters can, can do what they need to do. Um, and some of the big feedback too, is that nationals was about national titles. Um, and that this will kind of go into some of the, the nuances of the pro series, but um, basically it boils down to is that now the system is going to be based on best dots going into the Arnold or towards the end of the season. Right. Um, so pro meets pro designated meets Arnold nationals, um, you know, pro qualifiers, if a pro lifter decides to do that, or if a pro card is earned, um, Anywhere that occurs, your dots is eligible with the stipulation that you have to compete at raw nationals. So let's say you go into nationals and you're going to compete for the title, right? The national title, but maybe you don't put on the extra five kilos to create the best dot situation for you, but you have a dots from the Arnold or maybe a, 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 a pro qualifier event that you decided to do to, you know, you know, for, for the pro series or whether it was to boost your total going in for prime time for raw nationals, that dots, assuming you have your pro card or earned your pro card, that dots is eligible. So we cancel the, I'll kind of back up. The feedback was that not many people wanted to do the third meet, put a proposal in to cancel the third meet and move and go to the system of best dots. So what it, like I said, what it boils down to is best dots at the end of the season right? So the season technically starts at the Arnold and then goes through the year. And then we designate our, our 10 invites, male and female. And, you know, coming out of, uh, coming out of raw nationals, wasn't a lot of interest in the third meet being the meet director. I did gauge that interest, uh, in a variety of formats and spoke to a lot of pros and they were not interested in doing that. Um, so we put the proposal on the table ASAP and we wanted to send that, you know, newsletter out ASAP so everybody knows. So going through this year, uh, it is for for Raw Open and Masters Raw, it is top 10, well, 12 for, for Masters Raw, or for Masters. Um, but top Masters 10, is dots, dots age, correct? Dots age, correct, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, uh, top 10 dots going into, are, are going to get the invites, and obviously we'll work down the line uh, because we do have a, a unique situation <laughs> going on with with uh, some of our, our top tens, uh, you know, moving to different, you know, moving in different directions. Um, so with that, uh, you know, that's what we're going to be doing going into the Arnold and the invites will be going out in and uh, end of November versus December timeframe. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, this is something we've talked about extensively on two white lights and we've tried to like over the last two years, tried to educate. And the thing that just never, ever clicked was the point system. Correct. Uh, it just seemed like no one really liked that and no one understood it, no matter how much we tried to educate. I know that there's, there could have been some other avenues of education that could have helped a little bit, but at least on two white lights, I mean, we've been, if you listen to two white lights and you don't understand how the point system works, I don't, I don't know how, much better we can explain it. But the issue with that point system wasn't just three meets. It was the fact that it was originally designed because they wanted to do like seven or eight meets a year. And I think we all found really, really quickly, no one wanted to do that. That was just never going to happen. I mean, you had like one person signing up for those Ubu meets. 
And then we found even, it sounds like even three meets started to be a little bit of a stretch where just people that, I don't, I don't think powerlifting is a season. It's not going to be like the NBA or even football where you play 16 games. You, I mean, like you said, uh, most people just want to compete twice a year. And if they do a third meet, maybe it's for fun and they don't want to take it overly competitive in the seriousness of how they kind of approach it and whatnot. So uh, I know kind of like when we talked about this new format, that this before, if you tried to explain how to make it in the pro finals or what is the pro series, it took kind of an essay to explain it versus now it is simply the top 10 best lifters. Yep. Go to the finals. That's, that's it. it. I mean, you, that, that's it. They now, obviously, it. like you said, it's just to clarify, it's the, so like for this year, the Arnold 2023 nationals, 2023, and then it would be TBS primetime uh cpt and then yeah. the vegas meet that i don't even remember what it was called those are yeah, the three uh, those city. are the yeah pro qualifiers Sin city. City. those are the three pro qualifiers right for yeah for for open uh, for open lifters and we'll I'll concentrate on the open stuff for right now so yes those three plus um yeah plus the uh, arnold and nationals and obviously the stipulation is that you still have to do nationals right um, that is, is still a driving factor in it, but it does give the lifter flexibility that, you know, if they were, like I said, this, the conditions that we see from pro lifters is that you have the Arnold, which is the, the, which is the dots meet. And then we have, you know, some lifters doing meets within the intermediary time frame between Arnold and nationals, possibly boosting their total for a prime time spot, uh, going into raw nationals of which they get good dots. Uh, you know, they, they get a better dots. And then when you get to nationals, we see it, we see people jockeying for position for a title or for a podium placing. It's, it becomes a little less about the dots and more so about the title, or it does become about the title. Um, case in point, Angelo's deadlift, right? That was for him. That was to win the title. What he's in, in, if I double check my numbers here, I'm pretty sure he had a higher dots at the Arnold. If I remember correctly, it wasn't by much. It was a few. I think it was. Yeah, it It was. was, If he did, it was barely. Like neither of the meets did he kind of have his full potential. You could say, but it could. That could be a difference maker in the in the leaderboard of the situation towards when we go to the end of the year. And ultimately, we want the best ten lifters there. Um, And that's the idea of the the driving force by that. So that puts a lifter on the basically a two meet schedule, Um, possibly three if they feel like they want that you know, that flexibility. Um, but it doesn't constrain them to the third meet, which, you know, it makes it their decision, not, Hey, you have to do this meet to get into the finals. Like, so that so, was the idea simplicity, flexibility. Um, yeah. And, and just kind of align it to where the schedule went to throughout the year where everybody tends to, to go. So there's another thing that I'll kind of lead to in a second. But before I get there, I want to, I asked for uh, if anyone had some questions, we've answered most of the ones I got, but there's one that wasn't there. So this is kind of a two part question, one from me and then one from someone who submitted this on Instagram. So for next year, yep. the Arnold and nationals will be potential meets. You can set dot scores at, and then will it be the pro qualifiers again? Oh, I should also note, cause I, you didn't explain this, but this is an overriding thing that me and you have talked about. So I know about it. Sure. Well, I actually come back to this. So, yep. Qualifying events, yeah, will, I, also be pro, will also be pro qualifiers next year. Correct? Is is that the other meets next year, or is it just going to, or is there going to be a, a different schedule next year? Well, yeah. So the the qualifiers are are changing a little bit. We are aiming to put things um, into regionals from a from a pro qualifier standpoint because it worked well within the season. Um, the the 
you know, from a, from a personal perspective of meet directing an, an event, like something like a pro event or a pro qualifier, where you're looking to put out the, the, a high production value for a smaller subset of the population within the sport or within the, the organization, it became financially challenging. Right. And if we put him with regionals, which was the proposal I had was to organize everything within this calendar year that exists within, you know, the, the pro series and with USA powers. Um, and that was ultimately the goal was to get everything aligned to that. And obviously we will have other pro qualifier events. We still have, you know, the, uh, the masters world cup, a world cup, um, to integrate the international aspect of it and, uh, you know, give a lot of opportunities for these pro events. Obviously they need to meet the dot stipulations, uh, associated with earning a pro card. Um, you know, for open it's 475 male, I mean, 475 female for 500 male, um, in that regard. Um, but yes, you're, if you are earned a pro card and you earned a dots, like that's, that's available, you know, Is the to plan pick. to have a PQ at every regionals next year or just select regionals, every regionals. Yes. The, okay. Is that, is that like, is that official now? Uh, yeah, I talked to, I talked to the, um, committee about that. So, I've okay. got a, because a that was, pro that was the question is when are pro qualifiers announced? So it pretty much is now once regionals dates are announced, we're going to know that each regional is going to have a pro Correct. qualifier attached then. Correct. Okay. Yep. And so that is, um, again, that's, that's to align with the schedule that we have going forward, uh, within the organization to make sure that, uh, you know, everybody's competing on the same timeline. Um, obviously, you know, if with, within the organization, we have, you know, states at a certain time of year, we have Arnold at the beginning of the year, we have regionals in the middle, you know, in the middle time frame for those last minute qualifying year, not what last minute, but that, that's, um, that build up into nationals and obviously nationals in September, uh, or, you know, any of the other, other national events, but, you know, through yeah, the late and summer and into the early fall. So November through January, we hibernate and recover. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole, yeah, I spent the whole month trying to organize things and get leaderboards up, up to date, pro cards, excuse me, pro cards and everything checked off. Um, it's quite amount of, it's a, quite a bit of data and, and uh, backend work to get everything organized. But um, yeah, so I'm excited. I think this makes things a lot simpler for everybody to understand. Um, you know, you earn your pro card, you're in the, you're in the pool uh, of, and show up to your nationals, do well. Or if you, and you, you get a chance to go to the Arnold and, you know, obviously the Arnold schedule is announced. So I'll talk about that a little bit. You have your, you know, we have our finals in the evening on Saturday. Um, and then the middle, middle portion, middle session is our pro event. Um, uh, denounced the, the Grand Prix. So bringing back that name. Uh, so the Grand Prix will have those 30 lifters there. And then we have the raw challenge, which will have a 50 lifter uh, group. And uh, offering up three pro cards, the top three, assuming they meet the dots minimum. Um, there is a dots minimum to get into the event, but the there are three pro cards, male and female, uh, available for for lifters. So, okay, well, that was actually one of the things I was going to bring up that I kind of knew about because that's different because there's usually it's only been one, but there's going to be three now at the raw challenge. Yes. Um, before I get into kind of my final thing, I wanted to touch on here uh, and ask about. So I was kind of wrapping back around. So one thing about the system that uh, made this way easier, and you can explain a little bit more, is how this new system is able to integrate every country in the world immediately. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so and how does that work? So um, 
as of right now, the uh, you know international lifters uh, are going to be able to earn their pro card at at pro events just as much you know just a, at, along with the USA um, you know the USA um, within our our federal organization now from the US side of things, um, they're able to earn just as as much as they as any lifter is that's eligible. Um, getting their pro cards at these designated events. And I'm still working on the international schedule uh, with um, the committee on that. So I won't go too deep into that aspect of it, but we're still finalizing that um, uh, finalizing that uh, schedule as well uh, regarding affiliates and their nationals and, uh, you know, specified events that are going to have um, – you know, have that higher, you know, that, that big production is going to draw more lifters and draw the better lifters and, and give them an opportunity to, to score. So, all right. So final question I had, and this has not been publicly announced, but I think we are allowed to, what's the, what's the payouts this year for the finals? So we moved the, uh, the 25,000, uh, over from the apex to the Arnold. Um, we are now paying out top 10 uh for the uh finals for raw um so top 10 we'll have the uh all 10 paid out male and female um really trying to incentivize those lifters that are really you know have earned their place to be at the finals um and top prize um we'll go out on every single number but top prize twenty thousand dollars for the best lifter all right and it'll break it'll, it'll step down from there um there'll be some announcements on that but yeah, that'd be the, that's the big, the big, uh, you know, big change there. Um, you know, going from being able to cancel that or taking that third meet out and moving at uh, reallocating. So, yeah, well, that was the other, the other reason of like the discussion I think you've had with lifters, like, would you rather have a third meet and spread the money out evenly through many meets? Or do you want just one big meet? That's just like the big payout of the year. I don't. I mean, I like a big check. I mean, if it was me, I, I, that's why I agree. I, yeah. Most people I talk to like that idea too, versus like spreading it out. Yep. Uh, so unless you're Ashton, who wanted to compete at each meet and just win all the checks, it just makes it just makes sense that that that's the meet that is about money. Nationals yep. is the meet that is about winning uh, your weight class and so on and so forth. So, um, did you have anything else to add with pros? Oh, so that we don't skip completely over it. Albeit, I don't know how many people listening uh, are equipped. I think we scared all of them off from Two White Lights. Equips what they still have the Wisconsin Pro. Correct. This year. Wisconsin, yeah. So the stipulation was the Wisconsin event is still going on. Uh, They have the equipped, um, the bench only, and they they do have Raw. Like I did move, it's, uh, you know, like I said in the the newsletter, the Raw event just moved to Wisconsin. how it's it's there as a scoring event only um there's no prize pool for that for that aspect because we did move you know the we did move it to the arnold um but it is an opportunity if, if a raw lifter wants to have another chance at getting their um you know getting the uh, a better dots you know um i still offered that opportunity because um the event was planned it uh aligns with the this um it still aligns from the point system for the equipped and for um, bench only uh, events. So that's still in place. The only two events that are are going to be the dots system that we're discussing is raw open and raw masters uh, full power. Those are the only two divisions that we're, um, manip- we're, we're manipulating with this with this change. Yeah, for this year. See, bit, so equipped is a different discussion, but bench only. 
That's the type of one that like a season's kind of cool because you can compete with, yeah. six, seven times a year. Now it's how many meat directors you have that would be willing to host pro meets and have that it's, quality. And that that's always a logistical issue, but it would be bench only is the one lift that you could have a fun season with it and have multiple events since you can compete frequently. So that, that's, no, that absolutely. is an interesting one of like how they could go uh, yeah, as absolutely. well as we have a decent amount of bench only people that compete. If people don't know, like that's actually a decently, uh, participated in division in comparison sure. to some some other ones so yeah it's just it's all right. taxing with you know taxing doing all three for multiple time you know you know uh full power for multiple you know multiple events across the year it's not um this this i know for me like when i've peaked and tapered and and you know done a meet like you're pretty torched and then you're you know expecting a, a at least a you know f- sometimes a few weeks four weeks i mean how well, many and cost of tra- and cost of travel Cost, yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, they asked you, you alluded to it in your stories about like some of your lifters taking two or three weeks before they actually got back on, you know, on plane. I know a few of my lifters are in the same boat and some just wanted a vacation. <laughs> like, you know, they wanted a couple weeks off uh, to, before they got jumped right back into training. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's hard. It's hard on their bodies yeah. to, to be able to do that on a frequent basis. So, yep. All right. Well, yeah. so we got through some pro series stuff. Uh, I mean, the reason we wanted to have you on for a while is to do some little uh, coaching chat discussion. Yeah, let's do it. So let's do it. I know you had a you had a couple topics that you kind of threw out there, so we'll talk about that. I had a yeah. couple other ones that I just wanted to kind of pick your brain at. We'll kind of go from there. So uh, specifically, you brought up and kind of talk about is questions we ask clients to get the right answers we need feedback wise. So you're actually the one that posed this kind of to me. So one, either one, reframe that however you want to, or maybe two, lead off some ideas of what you're thinking here and kind of want this, where you want this discussion to go and kind of what you're hoping to achieve by finding these, these correct questions. Yeah. So I, I think about it from a scale of my own training, as well as, you know, at my athletes and, um, you know, being able to talk like there are, look, we can get videos every single day and I'll get them and I'm like, okay, like everything's well within your, you know, your variability of the lift, but it's, there's like feelings and trends that we don't necessarily get to see as coaches. And sometimes we have to probe, uh, to get more answers. And I, I believe this was one of Marcellus's stories that kind of got me thinking about this. Um, he was doing a Q and a, like a few days ago that got kind of sparked my thoughts with it. Um, more so like discussion, but as I'm curious on some of the stuff that you do as well. Um, and you and I have had this discussion in the past about, you know, do you feel strong? Uh, do you feel recovered, but not strong? Do you feel recovered and strong? Do you feel fatigued and sore and all that? Um, you know, some of those are the, you know, more basic questions that I tend to ask, but there's like the ones of like, just feeling like good within your skin, you know, like, how do you feel on, uh, with training? Do you feel really peppy? Do you feel motivated? Like, or do you feel sluggish? Like, um, and even too, like I had a, a, an athlete that was cutting and he, and they were like, I feel small and I'm like, okay, like that's can explain a, a good amount of stuff with training, um, that might indicate why performance not, might not be on top of it, especially with a cut. Right. You know, and, and, uh, you know, some listeners are very sensitive to that and some listeners aren't, some can drop three kilos and feel great. And some can, some can, you know, diet three kilos away and feel like a, you know, a stick figure, Um, so it's, you know, some of the, like, for me, it's like asking those questions and being able to get the right response for us to be able to have a more logical approach 
to what a training adjustments or training tweaks we need to make, whether it's, you know, um, you know, going to more of like a, you know, you and I have had this discussion um, regarding progressions across the block. Like some lifters can progress a little bit on the secondary day and the primary day because then they can run in tandem with, you know, their intensity gap and really set one up for the other. Um, or others might be more static, you know, and, and making some really small progressions or even no progressions at all um, to get their primary days to feel really good. And obviously this aligns with your system, you know, your systems that you've been teaching on your YouTubes and, and power and power to now. Um, but yeah, I mean, really asking the right questions, I think is super important. And even as a, as a lifter, asking yourself the right question. Like I had it the other day where I told Sean where I was like, Hey, I feel great on secondary days and I pushed you hard. And then I feel like crap, you know, I feel good for a couple of weeks and then it, it just all catches up to me and I feel like crap on, you know, in the primary day. And that's on me. I should have paced it better. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm curious. Do you have any like insight questions that you can think yep. of? So I actually did something this week after we had this initial convo because I was like, I've got an idea and I'll get to that in a second. But to kind of prelude this, like you kind of already talked about it, as a coach, the the type of feedback we get is, I don't know if interesting is the right word. It yep. very much varies. Yes. You'll have some lifters that you can barely get any feedback. If you get a sentence from them, you're like happy one day. There's some who send you long essays. There's some that can give you every single detail about their training, but I have no idea what goes on outside the gym and I never hear anything about it. There's some people that I hear everything about what goes outside the gym and I don't know about anything of their training because all they want to do it, it, there just has to be a happy medium because we need to yep. know external variables. We need to know if there's, 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 there's swings in your sleep or nutrition that could be causing stuff. Yep. Uh, there was uh Matt Cronin. Uh, I had, I kind of got it out after a while, but the other day I finally learned he had just in a three hour mosh pit the night before at a concert. <laughs> like that would have been a good thing to leave with Mr. Cronin <laughs> in yeah. a three hour mosh pit. Like that's probably pretty exhausting. I've never been in a mosh pit, but I imagine that's pretty physically taxing. Three, um, no less. I mean, yeah, that's like, dude, yeah, Matt's, Matt's a beast in regards to the mosh. So, yeah. uh, but no, there's, there's so many things and I get as a client and as an athlete, sometimes it's hard to condense that in the right format because you're like, how much do you need to know of everything? Um, yep. and I've sent you, I, so I have what's called a weekly check-in that yep. I send to athletes. And I usually only send it to the ones that feel like they get benefit from it because it's not meant for everyone because it's a lot of questions that usually we talk about or hopefully we talk about throughout the week. But some lifters who are not as in tune with feedback or what they should be saying sure. don't know. The idea I just had this week, Brad, is I messaged everyone and I said, hey, I'm going to start sending this to all of you again, regardless yep. if you fill it out or not. Because what I'm going to do is if you're not giving me good feedback, I'm going to one let you know kind of what I need more of. But two, I'm going to tell you, I need you to go read that, read that weekly check-in because that's probably, I mean, that has, I'm going to read all the questions real quick. That's probably going to help to guide you of what you're missing. So like I said, we, we have athletes who give feedback, but a lot, it, it, it's, it's diverse on what they give feedback on. Like I said, some, I don't know anything that's going out on that side of the gym. Some, I don't know what's going on in the gym, but like on my little weekly check-in, 
rate your overall overall fatigue during this week on a scale of one to 10, rate your level of external stress, rate your quality of sleep, rate your nutrition in terms of adherence to goals, rate your overall motivation, rate your general feeling of how your strength is compared to previous weeks, rate the strength levels of bench press in comparison to previous weeks, rate the strength levels of squat compared to previous weeks, rate the strength level of deadlifts compared to previous weeks. How do your joints, soft tissue, and any past injuries currently feel? Give a general rundown of this week's training. Describe any current nagging issues you may be experiencing this week. Um, what questions do you have for me? Any other comments, concerns, or suggestions? Now, with all of that, yep. I don't know if we need to know every single one of those every single training session. But through the totality of the week, I'd probably like to hear about fatigue in some way. I probably yep. want to know if there's any external stress. If there's none, then I don't need to hear about it. But if there's not really anything affecting it, if there is something affecting it, that would be good to know. And so... I specifically started sending this to everyone again, and I'm going to I'm going to probably whenever there I, I need more feedback, kind of push them to reread this because yep. I, I don't know if you agree. I feel like if you read this and you're like, I've never told Steve about my motivation one time. Yeah, probably clicks that that's probably one of the things you should tell, because I, I was like, I, I don't want to have to remind every athlete every single time. Here's what you're not telling me, because I, I do to an extent, like if there's specific things that I need to hear, I every single time I'm gonna be like, hey, I need more feedback on this. And I, because otherwise, like, I don't know what to say back. Like, I'm sure you're in the same boat. You're sometimes getting like <laughs> yeah. videos from athletes like I don't even know how to respond. Like yeah. I got three videos. I got a feels good. I, I don't know yeah. what to say back to that. So that some videos. I'm just like, hey, like yeah. I need a little bit more of a breakdown for this session. And it, I'm kind of like thinking about some of the stuff like about your questions, because obviously you and I, I've seen your form and, and I appreciate your uh, your insight on that, too, because I created my own. And I went I went to the uh, I've been going to a more of a block like review. Um, but some of the other things, too, is just like, hey, do you notice any trends that I'm not picking up? Because only, there's only so much of like, hey, I put you know, 365 on my squat top set for RP seven next week is eight, you know, whatever. And you write it down, but like, and some are really good at putting little notes in there about, Hey, how things went. I think other things too, like, Hey, are you, you know, are you man like arousal? Like, are you getting super hyped up on your Fridays in the middle of the, you know, middle of the block versus the end of the block and you feel burnt out? Like, like versus pace, maybe somebody needs to pace that out right. Or pace their progressions out, which is, you know, where we might come in with ranges and stuff like that. Um, or trends, like, you know, I broke down a call with a lifter earlier about his prep and I was like, Hey, you know, is there something I'm missing or, you know, that you're noticing? He's like, yeah, I was being a little aggressive on the secondary day. Okay, cool. Like that makes sense of why maybe things just kind of, you know, sputtered a little bit. And basically we repeated, you know, the block prior to his, his, uh, final block into prep. And he, now granted he peaked really well. Um, and had a, you know, a little stumble on the platform, but, um, you know, the number wise, I think we were still trending in the right direction on where we should have landed, but I wouldn't have known that without having that, like, Hey, is there trends that you're not, no- that I'm not noticing from you that you're, you're noticing like, same thing. Like I told Sean, I think I'm pushing these secondary days a little too hard and I'm coming in feeling fatigued. Like I'm not, I'm not some high efficient bench presser, but me taking, you know, five kilos under what my primary day is on my secondary day. It was kind of beating me up a little bit being a 48, 48 hour turnaround. Um, so I cat, you know, we were running an experiment this week. So I'm going to sandbag my secondary day to see how the primary day feels. And so something, yeah, something sorry, I was ahead. just thinking, something I was just thinking about as you're talking, and this could be something that we, we make up. Uh, so some of the stuff you're saying, and I'm saying too, yep. it relies on a certain 
athlete's knowledge to even understand these concepts. Because this goes back to, I posted on my story about a week ago, is the understanding that like, if I'm working with more or higher training age athletes that on average have a higher IQ within powerlifting, which is my general niche, that's very different than if I coached all beginners or early intermediates that have been less than the sport in the year that have a lot more variables, which frankly, we all started there. It's not like I don't have experience there. We've all started there. It's just that I'm a bit more detached because of the selectivity I had because of who I can coach and who I choose to coach now and all that kind of stuff. I think if you tell a lot of these things to those beginners to early intermediates, they're going to have no idea how to describe it. So what I thought as you're thinking is kind of like a, I'm losing the word now, but a diagram where the overriding question, did you feel strong on the day? Yep. That's the question. And then it's like, yes or no? Yes. No. (laughs) If it's no, why do you think that is? Is there external factors? Did you sleep nutrition and uh, recovery okay? How was your motivation on the day? Did you feel fatigued? Did you feel not, did you feel fresh, but just not strong? Like literally, I think those are the four things you could go. You could go external factors, motivation, fatigued or not fatigued, but didn't feel strong. And then from there you could branch off. And then on the yes side, same thing. You, you could do the same thing. Like we're, uh, it, it, that would be an interesting one to do for athletes that I think would be beneficial like if we made that. Because really it comes down to the overriding factors. Yeah. Did you feel strong on this day? And then we need a flow chart to be able to distinguish the factors because I mean, frankly, if it's a yes, we could have a flow chart there, but that's, that's a good thing. You felt strong. Yep. Awesome. Day winners, it should. It's the no that doesn't matter. And I think that if we, we could probably make some type of flow chart for athletes, because the, like I said, the four things are, if you did not feel great on the day or that they just feel, feel, feel average or not as great, it's kind of those four things, external motivation, yep. uh, fatigue, or I don't know. So if people can't see this, it's been a thing lately. Did you see those balloons, Brad? This happened on the Powerlifting Now podcast, and I thought it was Zoom. I don't know what is going on. These balloons start flowing up on my screen. I I wish people could see this. Yes, just mine. I don't know what this is. It's like your computer, just like, all right, happy birthday. (laughs) I guess so. I don't know. Maybe Angela needs to make this as as a clip for two white lights because people can't see it. But then, yeah, so... Yeah, but reframe. Chart, yeah. No, no, I don't feel strong. Externals, motivation, uh, fatigue, yep. and then general feeling uh, like it's fatigue or not fatigue. And that we can make a flow chart from that would probably be helpful because that's where I think a lot in. of this stuff. Yeah, a lot in. of this All stuff right, seems. This is why. This seems overwhelming. It could be like yeah. a, you know, uh, a little, little color of the chart. Yeah, you know, you know the chart, like, oh, we're so back, like, you know, that, like, but basically a flow chart, and there's color in where you're at today, and, like, that's yeah. really all you have to do, and, and that'll give us an idea of where you're at. Actually, it's not a bad idea. Because, like, asking all these things is a bit <laughs> overwhelming. Like I said, I don't want everyone, every single time they give me feedback, to go through every question I just went through for my weekly right. check-in. That, that's a bit excessive, because likely a lot of them don't go there, but... I think we could almost probably make a flow chart and have that available for athletes to kind of guide their thought process. And when they're like, and literally if they don't give us good feedback, we can just send them that flow chart real quick and say, Hey, answer these questions for me real quick and go down this flow chart. Might be a uh, PN document that needs to be created. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would, I frankly think that might be the answer to this because (laughs) it's, there's only so much client education you can do on feedback right. because everyone's different and kind of the extent that some people want to be more autonomous and 
Yeah. They're not going to give you three paragraphs versus you have some people that are going to tell you everything that happened. Yep. If they took 11,000 steps versus 10,500, they're going to make sure to notate it. Everyone's a bit different. And you can't expect everyone to be either or. You can't expect. Yeah, anything. absolutely. So, and but, I think, yeah, I think that would be an interesting idea to do a flow chart like that and kind of create the system so that people could be able to have, rather than saying, here's the questions you need to ask yourself, here's just the flow chart and give me your answers based off of this. So. And I would even say too, like for the, for the listeners, like it's not, we're not sitting here going like, oh, you, yeah, like you missed 500 steps. Like that's all, that's the difference in the world here, right? Or you slept 30 minutes less or you slept an hour less on one day of the week. Like we're not talking like that. We're talking 80, you know, 80, 20, you know, level of, of adherence here to, you know, those external factors that could potentially affect your training. Uh, it's the, oh, I slept for five hours for three nights in a row and I ate three meals across the day and under eight protein and everything else going into the session. And I had a stressful day at work and I'm <laughs> like, those are indications like, okay, that's why a week would derail uh, to a degree. Um, and there's, and there's, that's not to say that some people can't just power through. Don't you have a, you've had a few athletes that eat like a protein bar once a day and then, you know, eat a huge meal at night after training. And like, that's the extent yeah. of their nutrition and they still do really well. Like there's just, there's outliers to the situations and I've had it too, where I'll feel, I feel like complete shit going into a training session. I might have a great session, but I, I, I can't tell you like, it's, it's not because I slept for six hours, the two or three nights before or what have you, or went to bed at 2 AM and woke up at seven with the girls. Like it's just, you know, sometimes it, it could be a factor and sometimes it couldn't be, but um, you know, that's that in itself, like when they get to understand that flow chart too, they understand where their trends start to lie a lot more. If they, they find that, you know, towards the end of the week, because of their lifestyle structure, by the end of the week, they, they're hitting that same area of external factors on the flow chart, then, okay, maybe that's information for us to be able to take a more macro approach to like, okay, can we change the program? Can we move the primary day around? Are we within a prep? Are we not in a prep? Like it gives us more understanding of options that we could create for them to make their training better. That's all. And yep. we need How about we, I got an idea. Let's write a flow chart right now with some of these things and start developing it. Let's It'll be it. interesting. So let's start with, we'll just do one side of it. Cause I think we'll see how this goes. Yep. So do you feel strong is the overriding question and there's yes or no. And I think no is the more important one. Yes, we can do eventually, but that's going to probably be a little less extensive because yep. that's a good thing. Yes. You felt good. Um, albeit even when you feel good, there's some parts on the no side. You probably still need to kind of cover because you can feel strong and have terrible recovery and yep. in the week, you're fine, but prolonged through a block, it's going to affect you. So Correct. if you say, no, you did not feel strong, it's, did you, uh, we've got external factors. Yep. So sleep, nutrition. We, I, I think I'm going to break it up. I'm yeah. going to say external life factors, stress. Yep. That's, that's, cause I, I would kind of separate that from sleep, nutrition. Then I'll say recovery, sleep and nutrition. Yep. Then you've got fatigue. Yes. Would you call those the three like main, uh, I'll put one more technique because you're going to have sometimes people, yep. their technique just feels completely wonky. Do you have any other ones that you say are like the, are those the four overriding right. ones of why you might have not have a good day? Um, I think that's most of it. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously mental space can be a, a, a play a big role. Like we know that the psychological. Of how oh yeah. We, I said motiv motivation. That was the yeah, one I missed. Motivation. Yeah, I yeah, said motivation. motivation, psychological, you know, 
are you in your head? Are you too you know anxious for a lift or something like that? You know, stuff like okay. that. You know. So external, the flow chart going down. Let's think of some things. One would be, did you have any extra stress this week that usually isn't? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You, but I'm, I'm missing the right word. Usually isn't present. Any extra stress this week that usually isn't present? Yep. Is there, I mean, would you frame that any, would you frame that multiple ways or just need to be that? Like, do you think that covers the extent? Stress can be a variety of things. I mean, in my, you know, my ripe young age of 36 years old, like anxiety is stressful, like emotional stress. Like, uh, there's obviously physical stress, which is essentially fatigue, which is fatigue. Um, but I would say it's more like, you know, emotional or anxious stress that we tend to deal with outside of the gym for most individuals. Um, you know, whether like that's going into a section, you know, somebody's like, Oh shit, I got a big, I got a big squat today. Like I've seen it. I've had a lifter that was like slam dunk 501 squat and just was doing this all day, emotional roller coaster all day, getting excited and then crashing and, you know, all kinds of stuff and barely got 475 that day. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to put external yeah. stress. The flow down is any extra stress this week that isn't present. Correct. And then it's a yes or no. Yep. Uh, if it's a yes, what was it? If it's a no, move yep. on. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. I think just like overarching at the bottom of like the two trees is just like a blurb of what, you know, what are they actually like highlighting? You know, like what's the big factor that they think is going on would be a, a good way to kind of just break it down a little bit more because that helps us isolate that information. The tree is isolating the information for us. But then if we yep. could have a little blurb about it, I think we'll go well. But yeah, go. Yeah, cool. Okay, so recovery, sleep, and nutrition. Did you get your normal sleep and caloric intake? Yep, that's pretty straightforward. It's it's a yes or a no question. And then if yep. it's yes, not an issue. If it's no, then it's what was different this week from the norm. Yeah. So again, they're not overly complicated because we can get even more complicated than this and getting the exact hours and everything. But just simply, did you get your normal sleep and caloric intake? Yes or no? If it's no, what was different this week from the norm? If it's yes, come back up to the no because the flow chart is no, you didn't feel strong. So let's figure out why. So if it's yeah. no to externals, come back up. If it's no to recovery, come back up. Motivation. Yep. What is your motivation at? normal levels yeah were you yeah, uh, were you in it or were you not? <laughs> that's yep yes or no yeah. if no if no motivation was below why yep and that might even lead someone back to external and not realizing that something externally is causing a drop in motivation sometimes they don't even realize that i mean so, hey, fatigue. i've been in uh i've been in uh i'm not ashamed to say that i've done some i've done therapy and one of the techniques was downward, uh, downward arrow thinking where you just constantly ask yourself questions until you dive into like, what could be going on? And, you know, like that's, that's essentially it is where we're these, these questions are probing to kind of dive deeper into the actual answer or, or more insight into the answer. So. Yep. yep. All right. So fatigue, this is one you kind of already alluded to that. We kind of had this question as you ask. So if it's fatigue related, yep. Did you feel fatigued? I think you, yes or no. Yep. You've yes. talked to me about like specific tissue feeling 
Yeah. Like, I feel well, that's like, where I'm going to get to. So if it's a yeah, yes, sorry, this one's going to have, this one's going to be a little bit more flowy than the other ones. If it's yeah. yes, was there any specific muscular fatigue? If it's either yes, yes, or if it's no, how would you say, how would you describe that fatigue or was it just kind of a full body kind of yeah. ache? Like you just, you feel flat, like you feel like sluggish, tired, flat, like. Okay. So did you feel fatigue? Yes. Then what, was there any specific muscular fatigue? Yes, there is specific muscular fatigue. What is it? Or no, was it more a full body ache? Yep. Okay. If it's a no to did you feel fatigued? Then it's, did, did you feel fresh, but just not strong? That's a program. AKA, did the bar feel heavy in your hands or back lacking pop? Yep. That's a program. And that's either, that's either really just a yes or no. Yep. I like that. Okay. Love it. So reiterate fatigue. Did you feel fatigued? Yes. Was there any specific muscular fatigue? Yes. What is it? Or no. Was it more a full body ache? Did you feel fatigued? No. Well, then did you feel fresh, but just not strong? AKA, did the bar feel heavy in your hands or back and lacking pop? Yes or no to that. Yep. And the last one is technique. Yeah. And then did technique feel fluid and I don't know if the right words fluid. How would you rate that? Uh, did technique feel good today? I don't know if there's a better way to put that. Efficient? Like your normal efficiency? Like normal, like feel technique feel normal? Did it feel off? Like, I don't think there's, yeah, good slash normal slash efficient for, for you, for that person. Okay. So did feel, feel technique? Did technique feel efficient and fluid today? Yes. No need to go further. No. What about technique felt off yeah and that helps us out because then we can if we need to remind them of something specific then or you know adjust their setup or something like that then it's it's easy for us to to it's easiest for us to pinpoint exactly what it is that needs to be addressed whether it's a technical yep. or programming or if it's a lifestyle issue yeah and the other side is just, okay. they're feeling good. They're feeling good. I mean, obviously you could go, you can get dive a little bit deeper and say, Hey, did you feel 10 out of 10, eight out of 10? Like, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, no, I think that'd be great. I think a lot of people need to be able to need that education of how to be proactive and, you know, uh, create a good reflection, you know, a reflection of what their training feels like or reflecting on their training uh, to provide a good pr perspective for themselves and for their at or for their coach or and vice versa, coach to the athlete to be able to nuance exactly what we need to do in their training. All right. I'm writing this out a little bit more so I can, sure. we can make this into something. Yep. Cause then we can do the yes. I really like this. So I guess we're going to just have to do a collab post on this. This yeah, is, sounds we're, good. We're writing a collab post. Hopefully this was informative. I think it's informative as we're talking about it, but I, we'll make an actual collab honestly, post I, on it. I think I need to ask more questions sometimes like, or, or have it just so that people see it a little bit more. Cause like, obviously we do, we kind of, as coaches, we can go autopilot a little bit and kind of like, like, I know for me, I know when someone's not motivated. 
like I can tell in the way they respond to me. I can tell in the way that they send messages, you know, how they, you know, how they answer questions, how they send responses to me, the timeliness of things. Like I can tell when someone's not motivated and I, and you know, I'm sure you can as well. We can always call them out and say, Hey, cause I don't want to sit here and be sitting at the table ready to eat. And the other person's not there. (laughs) Like it's, it's hard for us to, you know, balance that out. And I get the, the ebbs and flows of motivation. Um, you know, some people have a lot of life stuff going on and they're just kind of, you know, habit building into things. And that's that, uh, the discipline over motivation post that we see all the time in the fitness community. So, um, but, you know, being able to really drive it home and, you know, understand things a little bit more is, is definitely helpful for everybody involved. So, okay. So we got the no side done. And I honestly think this little flow chart here just might does a really good job of encapsulating pretty much everything. I think it's going to be good. For yeah. the yes, what do we put there? So did you feel strong? Yes. If they do feel strong, what is the information that we want to know about feeling strong? Did it feel light in the hand? I love the light in the hands or like I like I feel it. Um, is it, it like when I go to like when I talk to people after meat preps and stuff? Right. I want to know, did you feel on, right? I remember talking to you and Natalie was competing at worlds and you're like, she's on she, like you, you both, like you knew it. Like, and that's, that's the feeling I want to have all the time, you know, as much as we possibly can as coaches uh, and as a, obviously an athlete too, because that just, that just hypes you up across the whole damn day. Right. And that includes in training as well. And so being able to like, I don't know, maybe even having a scale, like where, you know, did you feel on or did you feel good? Yes. All right. On a scale of one to 10, how did you, you know, how good did you feel? Right. Because a seven out of 10 versus a 10 out of 10 is, could be totally, totally two different things. doesn't mean that like that they're, you know, maybe all their externals and everything were good, but how do we like really nail down what we need to do as coaches to get them to feel that way? Do I need to have a primer single, you know, 48 hours out or 72 hours out to really lock them in for that session, you know? So something like that, maybe I'm writing that as how strong did you feel compared to prior weeks or sessions? Yeah. I think then the flow, yeah. Then the flow chart after that is just rate on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. I like that. I also have here, cause this is important with the yes. Did you feel fatigued? Because we know fatigue is not a bad thing. No, not at all. And the answer, because it, I'm sure you have some people, I have some people that they are actually best when they're fatigued. Yes. Like where you don't like, I mean, I have Nicholas Philippi, the dude hit a PR triple squat five days out from nationals. I knew he would be f- fatigued yeah. at nationals, but anytime we taper, it detrains him too hard. So there's fatigue. It's not a bad thing. So it's did you good. feel fatigued? Yes. Was there any specific, it's literally the same flow chart again. Was there any specific muscular fatigue? Yes. What is it? Or no. Was it more a full body ache? And that's, again, that's not a bad thing. We just know that they are high performing under fatigue. If it's no, they do not feel fatigued. Then maybe it's a detrain. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. They're not, they're not detrained. Like we know that they're feeling fresh and really strong. And so it's just going to be no return back to yes. Yeah. Because like, it doesn't, it does really like, so, uh, or it's just, yeah, just no. Okay. So do you feel strong? So the, from there you have the flow chart of, did you feel fatigued? How strong did you feel compared to prior sessions? Um, I'd honestly still, I'd, I'd take the technique one right back up there uh, because you can have 
off days technique and still feel strong. So you can still put the same technique flow chart of did technique feel efficient and fluid today? Yes. Return to no or no. What about technique uh, felt off? Yeah. Um, like all that. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I would I think that's it. I mean, honestly, well, honestly, I mean, well, I'm thinking, does all the same thing still apply? It's just, Would you still, if someone said they feel strong, would you still want, I mean, we still want them to talk about external factors if they're present, like, or just at least notate them? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that could be, you know, a a deciding factor on whether I feel like they could feel both, I would assume, because obviously if you feel fatigued, then you're going to, and you feel good, like you're, they both coexist. And I think that, I think this honestly might tie into what we were going to talk about after this is, is regarding, you know, um, you know, fatigue at the end of a block and stuff like that, that we were, you and I were discussing before, but um, I think, I think there's things that can coexist right within the the training model uh, for somebody to feel good on, you know, at the end of the week or, or at the end of the block. Um, you know, it's like you said, Nicholas needs to feel some level of fatigue to feel good. Like those fatigue patterns are the training pattern, you know, <laughs> like, um, it, I think when we get down to it, there might be little nuances of, you know, that a form is a form is going to capture a lot, but then it's up to the coach and the athlete to kind of dive a little bit deeper. If there's something there to be able to nuance exactly what we need to do. It's not, it's not going to be a complete another cheat sheet, but um, I think that, I think that cap encapsulates most of it, especially Actually, what I think I, what I think I came to, because I'm redoing it now, sure. I think the actual flow chart is the exact same on yes or no. It's just how you go about it. Because you're still wanting to know the same things. You're wanting to know how, even on no, we should add this, how strong do you feel compared to prior week sessions? We still want to know that on the no side. Sure. We want to know external. Absolutely. We want to know motivation. We want to know fatigue. It's just on the no side, it's a bit more of troubleshooting, where if you get to a point where you say, any extra stress this week that usually isn't present and you say, no, there isn't. Well, you need to return to no, and we need to find the right one now sure. versus on the yes side. It's more just information gathering versus troubleshooting per se. Does that make sense? Yeah, so absolutely. it's literally the It's literally the same flow chart on both sides. It's just a slight difference in how you actually approach the flow chart. And honestly, it just needs, I almost feel like it just needs a scale of one to 10. Like how strong did you feel in prior weeks? you know, or prior block, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is like a scale of one to 10. And then from there you dive down both sides and see <clears throat> where things land. Um, yep. In that regard, you know, how good did you feel on, on X, Y, Z day and that kind of stuff. Um, Cause obviously this is a, this is a recap form. This isn't a, this isn't a specific day form sometimes, you know, like, yep. You know, because obviously there's, you know, like we talk about, there's there's talk about a technique, there's variability. Like, you know, I can tell you right now, I spent my entire, you know, back when we were doing, you know, bodybuilding days, like I would, I would try to line my leg days up with Sunday when like I had no work, I'd wake up, I'd have my meal, I'd I'd go train and like, damn, if I didn't feel flat sometimes, (laughs) even, even though I had all the variables lined up for it, um, you know, just, you know, there is that variability. So being able to be as consistent as we possibly can and understand these, these little differences uh, is, is where this conversation started from is, is how do we, how yep. do we get that information? All right. Well, I'll share that with you afterwards. We can figure out how to put that into an actual graphic. Yeah. Wait, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll see what we need to do. Actually. Yeah. One Canva or something like that. I'll create it. So. Yep. All right. Yeah. 
Next, next little question I have. We spent a lot. We spent an extra time on that one, but I think that was good, and hopefully yeah. people will enjoy that one. Uh, I've got. I don't even want to call this a hot take. I'm okay. gonna. I'm gonna make a statement, and you agree or disagree with this? Okay. It came from a post I saw that when I read it, this goes back to kind of like my. I've been in this like little thing about looking back at beginners and earlier immediates, and like that. That's the majority of the population, and like I, I tend to forget sometimes about that population, even though I'm what I do content creation wise, what we do is still very much applying to them. It's easy to get in your own bubble. So this specific coach was talking about how they plan everything long-term when they get an athlete, they are trying to think eight to 10 years down the road of maximizing their potential. Okay. And my first thought, and I thought about this before, just kind of brought back up to me. I thought immediately, I was like, yeah, I don't know if the idea of long-term development works in powerlifting because 95% 95% of the athletes we're going to coach are going to do this for three or four years, if that. And that's that's us. That's us. If you're going, people who coach more beginner and intermediates, you maybe got them for a year. So I'm going to argue against the idea of really any long-term development for powerlifting outside of the fact that, you know what? Yeah, if I've got a 16-year-old kid who's never lifted before, there's going to be a difference in how I program for them. But I don't think I'm going to approach it of how am I going to periodize their training for the next eight to 10 years? Because I in no way believe that they're probably going to still be working with me in eight to 10 years. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. I I need to figure out what do they need right now that's going to get them the strongest possible. And you know what? A 16-year-old lifter might need more accessory work because they need to build muscle. I don't even think that's a point of like long-term development. I literally just think that's what they need right now to get stronger versus if you give me a person who's been training for 10 years, they just need to do strictly more specific powerlifting work because they, they've already built their foundation. But like, what's your thought on that? If I say uh, the idea of long-term development for powerlifting is overrated and shouldn't be thought about, what's your response? I, I, I agree with that thing. Like you can't predict. I just like, I call like, Oh, I, you know, I've had calls and so many calls in my career where it's like, I don't, I don't have the motivation or I don't have the time. I don't have the, I can't dedicate to this. And I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, and I, I said, I've, I just recently had a call. It's like, there's not, I completely understand. I don't, as coaches, we can't expect you to be around for six, eight, 10 years. How, how the hell am I supposed to forecast your, your growth at that point? How am I supposed to forecast ex, like the things that we just talked about on the, the flow chart? How can I forecast external stressors, job changes, life changes, family changes that impact someone's training to be able to sit there and lay it out, let alone if they're 16 or 25 or 30, I don't, it doesn't matter. Um, I think when lifters get into the sport, they are super freaking motivated. They are motivated to be the best, to earn earn their shot to the top title, you know, but when you realize how long you have to be in the, for some might how long you have to be in the game to do that, unless you're genetically gifted and you just rise to the top quickly. I mean, it's hard for us to predict and hell even plan for eight to 10 years, six years, just like you said, they're, they're going to, a lot of them burn out quickly. Um, yeah. Well, you kind of mentioned it too. I don't think the athlete, no, any athlete no. who gets in the sport and says, I'm in this for the long run. You cannot predict that. How many you don't know if you're going to have, you're going to have an oops baby out of nowhere with your girlfriend when you're 19 year olds in college. You don't know if something catastrophic is going to happen in your life that's going to change it. You don't know if there's going to be a new girlfriend or relationship that changes your priorities. You don't yep. know if there's going to be a job shift. You don't know it. Like most of the people that think that they're going to be in the sport long-term haven't kind of gone through those things. 
And I'm not saying not all people don't stick with it. There are some people who do this long term, but that is the of the 20,000 plus people that compete a year in USA powerlifting. It is a very small minority that are going to do this for more than three years. I mean, um, it's, I mean, look at how many, how many college kids burn out when they, re- when they get out of college and go do a job, like, and they go, you know, they get into a, a, a full-time job where they're working, you know, and they, they want to put their emphasis in their career as they should. I'm, I do not condone someone going, well, I'm going to, I got to leave at four o'clock every day to go train at my peak time for three hours and go home and eat my meal. Like you don't live that life. Like you need to get your first job. You better put your, you know, nose to the ground and bust ass and earn your way, earn your way through it and get your experience and all that, because that's your career. Like, and, it, and people do that. And then they, and that's what they should be doing. They, they, and guess what? Powerlifting is going to go on the back burner. Yep. You're going to have to figure out. I mean, and obviously look, as coaches, we, we can modify for stuff like that. If you're sitting there and you have good habits and good, you know, you've built a lot of foundational habits, like you said, from a, you know, a habit standpoint of being good, just love in love with training and your nutrition and sleep and your time management, then it's, a, we're talking a different story here, but yeah, most of them, you know, they burn out, they burn out kind of quickly, you know, and it, it happens. So, yep. and the one thing I'll say is sometimes when people say, oh, you shouldn't worry about long-term development, you should just maximize now. That doesn't mean you go balls to the wall and all of a sudden no. they're going to bench six times. That's not what it means at all. Because I think everyone we ever coach, we look at like, how can we keep them in the sport for as long as possible by making sure to do the appropriate volume and progression and not trying to force progression too fast and keeping them healthy. Cause the biggest, the biggest yep. correlation to long-term success in the sport is longevity, like not getting hurt and staying healthy. But I just don't think I'd ever approach a lifter of saying I have eight to 10 years with them. Here's how we periodize and build. Yeah. I, like I'm, I'm thinking like, what do they need right now? And we're going to work on that because I don't, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to coach them for. And that even comes from two coaches who likely have higher retention and longer longevity rates. Like I don't, I don't have anyone that comes to me that just wants, who's going to leave me after two months. Like most people I work with, and I'm sure with you too, like we have the assumption that they're probably going to work with us for at least six months to a year, if not longer, because of the selectivity we have and who, the type of people we have reach out. And even with the fact that I feel like I have longer, I, I had that longevity, I'm still not going to plan for it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think it's, it's, you, you, you just, you can't like it, like life, life has so much stuff going on. Like I've experienced so many athletes that have just, just have, they have not they, they can't do it and like you said rate of progression is important like um you know found if you're talking of a young athlete you're talking about foundational strength that are just getting into it and they want to jump right in you know feet first and i and i applaud that but i think it you know for some younger athletes and i, I believe um you know i've talked to uh, matt holden about this too um and I, i'm sure you have as well where he's just like he talks about pacing his you know, younger athletes out to, to build up that foundational strength versus jumping straight into specificity because the burnout rate is real. I mean, even, even seasoned athletes get burnt out, you know? Um, and it, and it's, they need that time to, to, to recoup and it's tie back into the, like the pro series. And just the, the fact that scheduling is, it's hard to compete multiple times a year, um, you know, without feeling burnt out just in general for any, any level of athlete, and, you know, the, like I said, habits and things like that are going to keep somebody, you know, into the, the, the idea of discipline over motivation, um, you know, from a long-term perspective, but we can't predict the future. 
you can't predict it. You can't predict relationships, jobs, what, you know, you know, moving, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Next one, similar thing. I'm going to do in a degree or disagree. And frankly, I'm not giving for, for two white lights and hot takes. These are not all hot at all. These <laughs> are all cold takes, but uh, I actually just was on a podcast that got released today and oh. it was extensively talking about technique. And one of the things that I talked about is really over the last year, in, from my own coaching, I think the biggest transformation or adjustments I have made in how I coach technique is I've come to the thought that setup is everything. Yep. And if you nail the setup, there really isn't that much you have to do during the lift queuing wise. And most of what you do queuing wise is fixing what you screwed up on the setup. And so I found like almost inadvertently, most of my content this year on technique has been about setup. Agree or disagree in that setup is everything. I completely agree. I've gotten to the point where it's like, and I've told athletes, I'm like, I'm not going to give you technique advice. Like on some I do. I mean, obviously I'm a, I would call it a technique junkie or whatever, just very like in tune to like understanding how people move. Um, well, you were, you were the technique guy. Like I would have said, like, if you wanted a cue for a lift, you came to Brad. Yeah. But I, I, I also knowing you for the last four, yeah. four plus years now, you, you definitely changed in that approach. Yeah. So I wanted to know how close you are on that end versus where you were before. My, I agree with you. I, I think that most of it is set up stuff and there's a lot of sense of like, like, you know, the idea of self-organization, which, um, I think has been widely discussed, um, for people that don't totally give a rat's ass about technique, um, they they fall into the idea of self of you know self organization, and I think to to in essence they're right. Now there are little things that I think can help optimize somebody through their setup. I think your um, your chest in front of the bar video for squat was fantastic. Um, I think rack height is is super important, and I know you've worked on one two videos now on on stuff like that for bench and, and squat. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think all of that plays a role in how we are able to just minimize the amount of work and effort we need to do to fix a technical position for somebody. Um, you and I were discussing one of your athletes, you know, cause I was, I was curious, I'm, you know, your athlete was looking really good on the squat stuff. Um, and you know, we were talking like kind of what things did we, we change and I've, I've done the same thing where somebody comes out with their chest collapsed down, they're overly flexed, they're pre-hinged or whatever, and you just tune up their setup and boom, they start looking a lot better. They feel a lot better. They're not using all these extra muscles and things like that and causing weird fatigue patterns and, and all that nonsense. And, you know, then their training takes off and then it honestly becomes a programming game more than anything. So... Well, that's where uh, you mentioned it. That's where I feel like two different spectrums met is there was the critique every little technique thing and the self-organization. And I think that middle ground was if you critique almost to an over and over critique to an extent, every detail of the setup, which is the time to do it because you're not lifting like the setup, you can somewhat overthink. But even within that, I've I've done some videos lately where you're, you're just thinking about one thing at a time, even though there's multiple things you think about, you think one thing. You finish it. You think the next thing, you finish it, which yep. is like setting up on the squat unwrap. Then you walk out, then you brace and you break it all up. And that's where I think if you nail that, then 
the athlete just self-organizes the actual right. lift from there. And that's the melding of the two things is like, you can't just say athletes can fully self-organize, but you don't give them any foundation for their setup to allow that self self-organization to manifest. Absolutely. But you also can't critique every little aspect of the lift and expect them to be able to do it. If the setup in general, isn't allowing them to be able to display those characteristics. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I, when I look at movement now, to me, it's mostly aesthetic. Like, what am I looking at here? You know, what are they doing? And, it, and then I kind of work from there. Are they, are they doing something specific? You know, like for a deadlift, somebody gets too excited and they want to yank on the bar too quickly and they don't really wedge in. Uh, you know, little things like that that just helps them slow down. And that's where we come in as coaches to be able to help understand their setups and then from there, it's programming to be able to get them to do what we want them to do. And we've, you know, obviously you and I have discussed that on at great lengths and you've done multiple videos on tempo, pause, squats, thing, take you do a tempo bench, pause bench, uh, you know, tempo wedge uh, deadlifts, which uh, kudos to, I think you mentioned that one to me. Um, so I've used that for a few people to kind of help them reorganize themselves going into, into their positions and into their setups. Um, so they're putting themselves in the best spot they possibly can. And then from there, it's just, it's let itself organize. Right. And we've, I've said it on that, on the powerlifting mountain um, exclusive I did, which is like, like technique is 99% setup, 1% execution. And then from there, because setup has all the time in the world to kind of fine tune things if you need to. Um, you know, I, I, even on bench the other day, I was like, I'm like, you know, really like wedging in hard into my neck pressure when if I just stopped like tensing myself up trying to find it and I just shoved my ribs up and just pressed my neck down, it was like, oh, it was a different game. It felt great. Um, so I think of there there is that sense of it of like, you know, a lot of times it's only like one or two things from a setup perspective that I see faulty. Um, and then outside of that, technique wise, we're not really, you know, maybe just telling someone to be more patient, just be more fluid whatever it is to help them organize better. That's all. Yep. So yeah, I'm big fan, right. of that. big fan of that. Let's, let's do one more and yep. I'll give you the option here. Let's do it. One is, one is for my own curiosity. The <laughs> other one is more for maybe listener enjoyment. So my own curiosity of something I have continued to try and wrap my head around and get a good understanding with this year. And I'm not getting where I want to is understanding low bar rack setup and grip considerations and like the factors that go in with how the shoulder is positioned and yep. how your grip is and all the factors that might determine how you're going to set up on low bar. Are you going to look like chance Mitchell and it's going to be in your fingertips? Are you going to be really wide? Are you going to be more of a narrow grip or a wide grip? Mm. Or we can talk about main programming changes you felt you've made over the last two to three years, which one you want. Mm. I mean, it's a good one. I mean, the, the second, the latter, I think is, is going to tie into a lot of stuff that you've, you've spoken on because you and I have had multiple discussions about programming implications. Um, the low bar setup, I mean, honestly, dude, you kind of, you kind of fixed a lot of people's, like, at least in my mind, you fixed a lot of people's problems with your powerlifting now video. Or, I mean, your YouTube, the YouTube video that you did. Of the unrack one? Yeah. I think like in terms of, but here, in terms Here's of my thing, though. Okay, let, let's let's just debate this one. This one's good yeah, because go I think the main program, the main programming considerations. I think a lot of that is you just going to be jerking off myself and Marcellus, so we don't need any more sure. of that. You do yeah. that on Fridays with me, anyways. We, yeah, yeah, we got yeah. our time. Yeah. 
Has- Low bar rack setup and grip considerations. Here's what I'm going at. Uh, because he, I'll, here's the here's probably the the two main constraints that people adjust. Because let, let's go with the fact that everyone's going to have the bar set on their rear delts, and we're not French. Let's let's assume that is the standard sure. of where the bar should be. Okay. From there, we're going to determine active versus passive grip. Yep. And then we're going to determine wider or narrower grip. Okay. I have. I mean, I have, this is because one thing that's tough about this for me to be able to get a full understanding is I can't do certain things because I have incredibly long arms and forearms. I can't go super close and be passive. For me, I can't actually do that and feel what it would benefit. So it's been very hard for me to put together concise thoughts here because I find that I do best with the, not wide, but I think I go ring to middle finger on the neural marker, which is sure. kind of like a, a moderate grip, not super wide in the sense that you're a super heavyweight untested lifter and you have such poor mobility that you can't even grab the bar in the first place. Yep. For most of the people we're talking to, they're going to fit into like a moderate to narrow. So for me, I go moderate because of my arm length. Sure. And I, because of that though, I find because I was never a super jack dude, it was tough sometimes for me to create a good shelf and if I could go narrower, I could get more of that rear delt being pronounced Absolutely. to create yep. a shelf, but I couldn't get my arms in position or create any tightness because my arms are so long. And so for me, what I've always had to do is I had to do that moderate grip. And I also had to do more of a, or a moderate width. And I had to do a strong grip because the strong grip, and almost kind of like a lat pull down effect. Yep. That's what helped to create a shelf. But yep. then you have a lot of like, especially like lower weight class women who do a very passive, very close grip to create their shelf. And that's what works best for them. So like, I, I've been trying forever to create some type of model of like whys around this. And I'm sure it has yeah. to deal somewhat with kind of the, the shoulder anatomy and whatnot. And sure. how long are your arms? I, I don't know. What What are your thoughts there? I mean, I mean, to me, it's a, it's a game of like, what is what is mobility what mobility are they capable of and like what does feel comfortable with in terms of development right in terms of rib cage right a rib cage can be rounded or it can be compressed from the you know from back to front or it can be you know expanded you know like you know think reaching and, and you know separating the, the scapula ultimately when we push that rib cage forward that scapula is going to want to kind of close together anyway um but then from a standpoint of like you said then we're just talking about what kind of you know, meat do we have on the rear delt and where does that hand position play a role and also tension within that. If you're doing more of a passive, then yeah, you're going to be, you know, let's look at a, at a French bar position. What that's doing is it's shoving the rib cage so far forward and putting the, the bar closer to the fulcrum, right? So closer to the hip. And it's kind of giving them that false sense of like, I can hold this here and all they have to do is just hold on with their hands, Right. And there's not really any pulled on a pull down or any active effect going on. They're basically shoving themselves into the position. Uh, whereas if you're kind of reaching your, you know, you're being more in front of the bar on the unrack or something like that, that's a little bit more active kind of getting there and getting the lats involved to push that rib cage forward. And then from there, we're playing with elbow position and hand width based on leverages, mobility. And that gets, you know, you get down to the mobility hole. Like it's, you're not, you're not winning anything there. It's like, you're either going to be able to do it or you're not going to be able to do it. And I used to, dude, I used to be able to hold the bar like super close. Now I'm like, I can't, it doesn't feel good. Now I'm like, I'm wider, you know, I'm, a, I'm probably thicker than I used to be. Um, but that honestly felt better and be able to kind of get that little bit of, there's that sweet spot where we can find that tension to be able to pull it a little bit into our back. 
and be able to create the shelf that we need to create. It's, it's really, oh man, that's like super individualized. I think that if you're seeing somebody like, you know, they're ultra wide, kind of like you said, then the scapula don't really ever kind of come together. We don't get enough meat back there to create a shelf. Like they're ultra wide, unless they're heavyweight, you know, you're not really, you know, somebody's doing that, you know, they probably need to start to try moving it in unless they legitimately have shoulder issues with it. Um, internal external rotation, you know, uh, requisites there, but I, some of that stuff is like a little bit more trial and error for me based on, you know, what they're, what they look like, you know, are there are their elbows spinning around underneath under the bar as they're trying to squat, which to me would be, you know, uh, a way of kind of keeping the rib cage shoved back as opposed to keeping more proud and letting the chest kind of drop. Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. Well, you kind of said it on the end. It's like individual level because that's where I've, I've struggled. If I want to make a video on this of finding a model, cause I don't, I don't, I can't think of a model because even like things like, for instance, I, I think if I have a model, it's self-organizing to find a way yep. to get the upper back to support the most weight as possible. I think that's my theory. But the issue is, because I, I don't want someone having to support it with their hands, because that's where we start leading to like wrist issues, shoulder issues, Absolutely. like bicep tendonitis. I need to get the upper back to support it. But if I was to go back five years, my thinking there is now like, of like thinking that there was a certain like standard you were supposed to do. Like, for instance, if, if, if you have bicep tendonitis or elbow issues from low bar, the general thinking is, oh, it's a mobility issue. You should go wider. Yeah. I've had just as many people now that going narrower to create a better shelf for the bar to yeah. sit on is actually what alleviated it because it was never a mobility issue. It was simply an issue that they didn't have enough of a shelf. And every single time they go to squat, especially on their rep work, that bar sliding on them, they're having to support it with their hands yeah. and their arms. And that's the main kind of like support of the bar versus the upper back. And so like, it's almost been like my theory now is individualizing per lifter of how can I get this lifter to organize their setup and their, their, their grip and their rack position uh, with the width to give the bar the most support through the back. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, that, that goes along with the unracking video is if we can't get enough extension in that bias during that initial unrack, I don't know if any grip is going to fix that. Yeah. I mean, I think too, like if you think about like some of the cases, like I just said, it's all, you know, if your rib cage is getting, you know, pressed forward, right. Think chest forward in front of the bar your rib cage getting shoved forward. And a lot of times you're creating tightness in the upper back, right? And that once you put that bar on the back, you want it solidified. You don't want to have to do any active work, so to speak, other than just stabilize the position and drop, right? And, you know, I, I think about your video and I honestly think about Perk and how he pops the bar out. And I think that's such a good, a good little test that you're in a good position to, to unracking and run this weight. Um, and like, I even went to a, you know, if I see a lifter squirreling their elbows under the bar, like as they strop and they're kind of squirreling it way underneath, that tells me that, that hand and wrist are going to hold that bar at some point, right? They're, they're compensating the position and not trusting where that extension is supposed to be. And that might be somebody that's pretty hinging or trying to keep their ribs down and brace too hard, uh, you know, or stack too much or something like that. When the reality of it is, is that, you know, you're standing upright the way you stand up. As long as you're creating a strong upper back in position, you're probably pretty good. As long as you're creating, you know, some intra-abdominal pressure and embracing and all that, like 
having that extension in your upper back to stabilize that bar is necessary to create that that shelf. And then from there, it's just playing with your hands on what helps you create that that more static position of it. And then from there, squatting up and down. Um, so yeah, if I see somebody moving around and adjusting, then I, then I know that that's not the case and they need something to be able to help stabilize that. And like I said, your video, and honestly, like I really do, uh, think that, that perks little pop out of the bar or, you know, little pre-lift, um, position, I think is a great way to kind of solidify that and feel it. Now making, I will say this as a caveat, if you're looking to try that, do not put it back down on the rack and like let go of it. You need to be like right there with it. And then that comes into the idea of proper rack height position for you to feel like you're getting the good spot. You know, here, here's a thought. And I think I've thought about this before, but I've never really looked in it deep enough. Yep. Is like I mentioned myself, I cannot go narrow because I have a disproportionately long forearm. It's kind of oddly long and it looks weird to an extent. Yep. So like, like if I put my arm right here, like, Versus if this was shorter, it's going to change where I go. I wonder if there's a bit more of a universal humorous angle. Could be. Does that make sense? Could be. I, like if you if you were to look at most lifters, I, I bet you would find on the spectrum that their humorous, aka their upper arm, is angled pretty similar. And a lot of their grip width is dependent on yep. the ulna or what radius length. Because like for me... I cannot go straight up and down because the bar literally wouldn't sit on my rear delts because right. my, my, my hand goes higher than my rear delts. Yep. So it has to go out even though my humerus is still at the same angle versus you might have a shorter arm lifter who's going to have a narrower and you would look at us and you say, oh, Steve's got a much wider grip. I do have a wider grip, but maybe our humerus orientation is the same. Does that make sense? I wonder if that's a model you could go around of looking at humerus orientation being pretty similar between lifters. Very well. And, and that then, can also play like, I mean, you're also thinking, you know, just rib, like your shoulder width, your rib cage width, like, like for you to go like this, you would, and be able to have that like necessary position with the scapula and the, and the rib, like I can't, I can't get there. I can get a high bar maybe if I'm super close, but for me, I need that. And it, I don't know, you know, the angle wise, I kind of need that elbow to be slightly behind my torso to feel it. Um, and they could, that could tie into the idea of where does that angle lie? I don't personally love, um, you know, angled straight down at the floor. That tells me that we're, we're holding onto that bar with our hands and all that. I kind of like more in line with the torso, maybe slightly behind it. Anything, if you get too high with that elbow, you're going to end up kind of crunching your ribs down, which is the exact, like you're creating an artificial shelf with your arm, with your humerus at that point versus a rear delt and a rib cage being more pronounced, you know, chest more. I wonder, kind of, again, I'm just theorizing and shooting off, but I, I've, I've somewhat okay. thought of your low bar rack as what you would behind the neck pull down which is a movement no one does anymore because bodybuilders finally decided it hurts your shoulder. But like, could be that we're from the era that they still did behind the neck pull downs. I wonder if in some manner you could do a test with some people of doing a behind the neck pull down all the way to the rear delts with the and get board. an idea of where their grip could be. Cause like for me, if I did super narrow, there is no way I could do a behind the neck pull down and get to my rear delts versus if I'm slightly wider, I, mean, I could get there you and that. you could almost say, what is the, again, this, this may be completely off base. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I wonder if you could say the grip you should have on low bar is the narrowest you could have while still behind the neck pull downing to your rear delts. Could be. 
I think that's fine. With straight bar, not with a lat pull down bar. The only yeah, we're not with a straight bar. Yeah, we're not creating a with dumbbell a str- bar. With a, str- with a straight bar, yep. what is the narrowest you could get to your rear delts comfortably on a behind the neck pull down? And that probably gives you a, I think that might give you a decent idea of where your grip should be. Yeah. Because I know for me, that would have to be, a. I think that would be about where I'm talking about where my grip is versus like some other people who have shorter arms and different anatomy, they could do it with a, with a closer grip. Um, yeah, because that's kind of like when you talk about your elbow position, like in translation behind the body bit, I usually think about like, where would my elbows pull if I was doing a behind the neck pull down? That's where I want my elbows to pull. And since during that rack position, it's kind of like the elbows are trying to meet directly behind the back and that's the same. So I don't know. Makes sense. If, if anyone sees me at the bodybuilding gym I go to in the next week doing behind the neck pull downs and just looking like I'm doing stupid stuff, that's exactly what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to test this theory out because I wonder if that's something that, because it's always thinking like, what could I tell a lifter to do to go figure out the proper grip? And there's, I don't think there's ever been some test we, we've said. I wonder if that could be a plausible test is do a behind the neck pull down all the way to your rear, just lightweight yeah. and see what is the narrowest you could go and get it all the way to your rear delts comfortably. Yeah, I think that's probably, and it's, it, like you said, it's probably going to align pretty close to what, what, you know, what humorous angle we're looking at, you know, which right. you know, everyone go test that. That's, what, <laughs> yeah. that's the homework for two white lights yeah, listeners. Oh. We need you to go test that and let me know, or Brad know yeah, if that actually cool. fits. And if that is based off of that, is that pretty similar to how you actually low bar squat? Because that would be the other thing is if, if we go do that test, you're like, well, no, I don't. I, that's not my grip on low bar. That makes no sense. It doesn't work. I don't know. Could be. It could Steve's be random explore. theories. Yeah. It, I mean, it's something to explore. It's, it's not, you know, like you and I have talked about from movement. It's, you know, you create a system for yourself that gets somebody like, and it's, it's teaching the basics and the, teaching the basics well. And then from there, it's, you know, you're, you're layering on top of that. So if it's things that help us get to the basics quicker, then I'm all for it. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's what we've been striving to do with, you know, talking about center of mass and, you know, set up over execution, queuing, <clears throat> things like that to make somebody the most efficient person that they can be for themselves. And then letting things organize, letting, letting things run. So now yeah, I think that, all right. I think that makes sense. Well, we'll end it there, yep. at least with the coaching chat. I've got a little I got a little surprise for some two white lights listeners. I've got another commercial gym story, but it's not mine. I was talking to one of my former employees recently, and because he's in my fantasy football, I was playing him in fantasy football and I was pissed off because he beat me. And I I don't know how we got in the topic, but I mentioned that I've been doing the commercial gym stories and he absolutely loved it. And he has no care about powerlifting, but he's like, dude, I've got to start listening because I just need to hear all these because he was there for three, four years with me and knows probably most of the ones I've talked about. He gave me one, though, that was pretty epic. Brad, did you read through it when I sent it? Oh, yeah, I was laughing. I was dying. Okay, that was hilarious. This, This one, this one's this one's good. So let me let me pull this up and semi read it. Um. I do need to leave some names out because it almost. It might actually. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So let me pull it up. Okay. So uh, actually, let me let me predict. This is the same trainer for those who are loyal listeners that trained the person who came into the gym having pissed their pants and didn't care and did the whole workout with their with their pants pissed. And so I had mentioned I said this story and he's like, you need to say the story about this lady. I was like, I have no idea who that is. And then he gave me some more information. I was like, no, I had left by then. So. To give a precursor, this lady was the aunt of a multiple Cy Young winning major league pitcher. 
Um, I, I need to look real quick. Can I read this verbatim? I think it, I think okay, yes, I can. I can read this verbatim. Yeah. So this aunt, he noted, was not the athletic type like the Cy Young winning pitcher. She was all of 300 pounds, and believe it or not, her favorite hobby was baking sweets, specifically chocolate-covered turtles. Months went by, and I enjoyed these chocolate turtles. I told her she should be selling them because of how effing amazing they are. Then one night, I'm enjoying a chocolate turtle after a long day of work at this gym, and as I'm chewing it, I realize there's something rock hard in my mouth. I pretty much knew right away it was a tooth. It's like my brain realized what it was. After doing a quick scan of all my teeth with my tongue and feeling that they were all intact, I ran to the bathroom, spit the tooth out in the toilet, and made myself puke until there was nothing left inside me. Since then, I have declined any sort of baking good from anyone except my mother. I also told told this client, or I also never told this client about the tooth, but I made zero effort to reschedule or resign her from that day on. So, moral of the story, if you are a, because, yeah, Brad, you're a trainer. Did you, I mean, we constantly had our clients bringing us stuff because that was their excuse to get it out of their house and then we'd eat all of it. Uh, so, moral of the story, beware. I never had There any. could be a tooth in it. I've never had anybody like that. Oh, we had, I mean, it actually, here's, this is interesting, commercial gym stuff. Again, I worked at three different commercial gym, four different commercial gyms, but really three main ones. One of them specifically our clients brought us stuff all the time. The other two, not really. But one, and, and frankly, it kind of fits in line. The final gym I was at, the one we're talking about, was in a pretty high-end area. And okay. the majority of our clientele was signed up with us because they could afford it and they'd rather work out with someone. And yeah. I don't want to say we weren't getting them in better shape, but it was less about like incredibly unhealthy people needing a trainer to get in shape. And it was more of, it was a luxury to have a trainer at this store sure. like that. It, Makes it, sense. It, it was something they could afford and they would just pay a trainer to be with them. It was. And so because of that, I think we just generally had, we had a different type of clientele. We had people bringing us stuff all the time. It was, it was nonstop. We'd have like cookies or sweets or something like that. And so yeah, it was a pretty common place, but yeah, we, this trainer learned um, you got to be careful because there might be a tooth in your chocolate covered turtle. I've never had that, but. I mean, we, I, my trainer was, it was more of a personal studio. So it was, uh, it was yeah, again, affluent area. Um, but never, never to that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> All righty. I can't imagine yeah. like feeling that. Like, oh I, my, I don't even want to. I might, I might have to, I might have to message more of my trainers to get stories because the commercial gym thing, people have loved it. And I, I, I know my trainers probably have more that I don't know about as well as probably some of the stories they may not have told me cause I was their boss at the time and they were scared. So there might be some ones that uh, are, are hidden gems that I that yeah, I haven't. You got more. Uh, if you get that, I don't know. You got more. There's there's got to be some good ones. The best I got is like, oh, I called somebody, you know, I signed somebody up and I called them at, you know, 6 a.m. waiting for them to. And mind you, I drove an hour and a half to be at this gym or be at this facility. And I call them at 6 a.m. and they they're like, I clearly woke them up. But <laughs> that's the that's the extent of some of my like funnier oh, stories. Yeah. So. 4,000 member, 40,000 square foot facility, no. commercial gym. That's where it's at. Your that's where the fun is. is. I actually, I actually just fun. thought of one. So I'm going to have to, I may, I'm making a note. I've got to go in and uh, go in and add this because I've got a good one to add to about a, a trainer I had. Uh, okay. Well, yep. Brad. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it was awesome. You you lost your, you lost your two white lights virginity. So I'm I mean, here. Be prepared. You are you are now a, you are now a clout coach. Yep. You can no longer hide without posting on Instagram. You are you are full of clout now. Made it. Um, 
But otherwise, appreciate the Pro Series updates. Yes, sir. Appreciate the coaching chat. Yep. Um, and until next time, peace. Peace.